welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest, and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who spent yesterday morning marking off all of the church activities I'm going to do during Lent in my planner. It's so far into Lent, Brian. I had a meeting about what we're doing during Lent, and I have so many things filled in now. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm really glad that we are establishing some sort of backlog of the show so that when the Lenten season comes, you are not just a total religion zombie. Um, I might use some of the things that I have to do as episode ideas. I'm sure you will, but because so we can time <laughs> this out. Yeah. Yeah. So it won't be too bad. It'll work out. It'll be fine. I just worry about you. <laughs> no, it's great. Everything's great. Update from last week. I got my Book of Common Prayer, if anyone it's, was concerned. It's here. I've seen it. It's very shiny. <laughs> It is. It also has a whole Bible in it. It has some little ribbons to mark things. There it's are great. two different ribbons. I think there's three. The third one's just tucked in there. There are three ribbons. Oh my goodness. That's so fancy. Yeah. All right, Brian. We are not talking about the Book of Common Prayer this week. You told me that much. We are not. What are we actually talking about? This week, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Oh, okay. I sort of know what those are. Yeah. I... <laughs> I would ask you to list them, but we'll do the story first. Okay, also I probably can't list them. It's also more complicated than you think to list them. <laughs> Great. Nothing is ever easy on the show. <laughs> if we've learned anything, nothing is as it seems. It is not. Speaking of which, I thought this was going to be an episode that was going to be more history and less Bible story because the last one was all Bible story. But turns out this story is more complicated than I remembered. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, where does it begin then? This story begins in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. Okay, so we're Old Testament. Yep. This is the book that talks about the Israelites being captive in Egypt. Okay. And Moses leading them out. This all happens in about the 15th century BCE. Okay. And this portion of the story that we're talking about takes place three months after Moses gets them all out of Egypt. Okay, so the Red Sea is already parted. That's Moses, right? Yes. Okay. That was how they got out. We escaped. We dealt with large bodies of water. And now we're... Are they settled? We're wandering through the desert. Okay, great. Wandering. Yeah. The, Much wandering. The beginning of a very long time wandering through the desert. Cool. So as they wander, they come to the base of Mount Sinai. And here they set up camp. God calls Moses up the mountain and tells him that he needs to tell his people... What a great God they've got because he rescued them. And because of this, the Israelites, who were his chosen people, had better listen to him. Okay, so he's laying the smack down. Yeah, God's saying, I'm great, you should listen to me. So Moses goes down, and he tells the people, and they say, okay, we will listen to this God. I mean, they <laughs> did part a large body of water. They did. There were a lot of other things. There was a river that turned to blood. Oh my goodness. It's wild. Is this where, do things light on fire? Is there, like, all sorts of other exciting... Uh, there's, like, a pillar of fire. Okay. I figured there was fire at some point. Yeah. There's a burning bush, too. Yeah. Is that the story? Yeah. Okay. It's all, yeah. All that's part of the story. Great. Uh, is Jesus there? Where's Jesus? No, Jesus is very much not there. Okay. Where is Jesus in relation to this? Not born yet? No. So, I just told you this story is uh, 15th century BCE. Jesus okay. is, like... Year like one. Okay, so this is long, long, long yeah. time ago. This is like right because this is super Old Testament. Yeah, I got this it. is like fifteen centuries before Jesus. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Very my, my brain is back. I figured out where we are in time in life. 
All right. They've seen many remarkable things, and now they're willing to believe Moses that God is good. Yeah. So they're like, cool, we're on board. And Moses goes back up the mountain to tell God. Okay. So he has the worst, longest messenger route in a terrible game of religious telephone. Yeah. I was curious, so I looked up the height of Mount Sinai. Is it very tall? It's 7,500 feet tall. Okay, that's not crazy tall. But, like, it felt like a long way to go back and forth. Yeah, but what is the elevation of the ground surrounding Mount Sinai? Because if it's sea level, then that's a really long hike. If it's the elevation of, say, Denver, Colorado, my hometown, then it's really only 2,000 vertical feet. Okay, I didn't look up That's specifically fine. what the elevation Sorry, was Sorry, the, like, hiker in me just, like, <laughs> nerded at you about mountain heights for a second. I just looked up the height of the mountain because That's I was fine. like, huh, how high was he climbing? I mean, he's now more than a mile above sea level. Yeah, so... So it's a trek. Yeah. Moses is making a trek. Yes, he's playing terrible religious telephone. (laughs) Kind of. And God can hear. (laughs) Yeah, why does he keep going up on top of this mountain anyway? I don't know, man. Is he afraid that the people down below are going to hear what he's saying? Uh, that's, that like is kind of a thing. Okay. God is very secretive in this story. Secrets, secrets, secrets. All right, so what happens the second time he goes up the mountain? So he goes up and uh, then God says... I'm going to come down in a cloud, and I'm going to talk to you, and the people are going to hear us talking, and they'll know they can trust you. Okay. (laughs) Didn't they already trust him the first time? I don't know. God wants to make double sure that everyone trusts Moses. I feel like God has trust issues in this story. (laughs) Maybe a little. (laughs) He's worried about Moses' legitimacy to these people. I mean, these people also kind of suck sometimes, so. (laughs) Okay. Fair. All right, so cloud, cloud bit is happening. Yeah. So he says, this will happen in three days. So everyone needs to wash up and wear clean clothes and no sex. For three days. Yeah. You have to get three ready. days to do laundry and not have sex. Yeah. I mean, in all the time that you're not having sex, you can do laundry. It's true. How much sex does he think they're having wandering the desert for who knows how long? I don't know, but they're not allowed to have any for these three days. Okay. Is someone <laughs> going to break this rule? Is part of the bit that someone breaks this rule? No, no one is breaking this. Okay, good. And then God says, when I come down, if anyone tries to approach the mountain, kill them. Stone Ooh. them or shoot them with arrows, but don't touch them. Even kill any animal who gets near the mountain. Oof. God does not want anyone near the mountain when he's on the mountain. It's his mountain. It's his mountain. Nobody touches the mountain. Exactly. On the third day, there is thunder, lightning, and a trumpet blast. The people were terrified. Of course. <laughs> and they told Moses, we would prefer you speak to us instead of God, because we think we'll die if we talk to God. Oh. That's so sad for them. (laughs) Moses just says, you know, it's good that you're afraid. God's testing you. Okay, so this is mean scary God for real now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've brought all the mean scary God to this one. But yeah, Moses was like not very sympathetic to these very terrified people. No. So then Moses spoke and God answered. And God came down to the mountain and Moses went up to the mountain. So they met halfway. Yeah. Then God told Moses to go get his brother Aaron. And he also warned him several times that no one else should come near the mountain. Okay, someone's going to break a rule eventually. That's why all these rules are in this story. I know how this works. So Aaron goes up the mountain. Yep. Who comes with him? Just Aaron. Okay, so they're good at rule following so far. Yeah, so far they're doing all right. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. (laughs) I'm going to ask every single time. (laughs) Fair. Then, once Aaron is up the mountain, God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children from the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For, six, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Shout out to our creation episode. Hey! Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This starts to sound like a Dr. Seuss story at some point. <laughs> so, those are the Ten Commandments. Great, so he doesn't say them in the nice, clean order that they are published in normally. <laughs> He just, like, gets long-winded and weird about it. Yeah, break that up into ten. <laughs> Here are a bunch of commandments. You figure out how many there are. Hopefully it's an even number. Good luck. <laughs> There's that little chunk at the end where it's like, okay. We got a bullet list at the beginning. Yeah, the, the shall and the shall not. We're, we, we're good on that. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, it's like, should we distill this all to one commandment? Is this a series of commandments? That is definitely a question that people have debated over Does for centuries. Does that mean centuries. there are maybe not ten commandments? There are ten. We're told that there are ten, but different people have different lists. We'll get to that. <laughs> so after this, God goes into a lot of detail about laws, about property, social responsibility, and worship. Okay. Many more rules happen. So many more rules. Do people still follow those rules? Yeah. Some of these are still followed okay. by different people. Some of them are very specific one of them, as an example, is if anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it is known that the bull has a habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Whoever physically wrote these words on paper the first time clearly had a bad experience with their bull getting <laughs> killed by another bull and figured they should just, like, slip this one in. Yeah, like, the, but there's a lot of them that are just very specific. Fair. People are airing some grievances. Yeah. And there are some that are super relevant, like, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you are foreigners in Egypt. Real. <laughs> That's one we should probably still follow. Can we write that down and post it everywhere? <laughs> God said it. Do that one. Yeah. <laughs> Thou shalt not mistreat a foreigner. God. <laughs> Plaster that a few, over a few places. So he goes through all these rules. And he also tells Aaron and Moses that he's sending an angel ahead of them to defeat their enemies and lead them to the promised land. Great. They get an advanced party now. Yeah. Love cool. that. Fight off all those other people. Or things. Or animals mostly and... people really yeah it's not like wild animals and snakes and stuff no they're it's mostly like they god is giving them a land but it's already kind of occupied oh <laughs> awkward <laughs> yeah but that's another story great so, so they come down from the mountain presumably yeah they come down from the mountain 
Uh, Moses wrote everything down in a book. It's called the Book of the Covenant. And he reads it to the people. And they all say, okay, yes, we, we will do all of that. But please no more trumpets and giant storms. And can you be the one who talks to God now? Okay, thanks, bye. Yep. Yes, we're still scared. <laughs> and then Moses, Aaron, and 70 elders go up the mountain and they have lunch with God. Oh, <laughs> and God gave them permission for that? Yeah, they were allowed permission to go up and have lunch. That's nice. <laughs> so there are 72 people, plus presumably Jesus, who have like met God one-on-one in that cool, chill way. Yeah. Yeah. Good for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it was like, there was like a cloud mm-hmm. and like they were like having lunch and there was like also a cloud at the top of the mountain. Yeah, I, I presume corporeal God did not have lunch with them. Yeah. Especially at the top of the mountain. Right. So then they go back down the mountain again. Great. And God calls Moses up the mountain again. Oh, poor Moses. <laughs> because he wants to give him some stone tablets. Oh, great. Now we're cooking. Yeah. And so he goes up with his aide, Joshua, and they stay there for 40 days and nights. And during this time, God decides he wants to try out being an interior designer. Oh, great. He goes into painstaking detail about what he wants the sanctuary to look like. So they spend 40 days and 40 nights taking notes. Pretty much. Woof. Like, here is a description of the lampstand. Just the lampstand that God wants. But what about the lamp? Don't, don't even, this is just a lampstand. Okay. (laughs) Make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Ooh, that is specific, and I hope they've got a really good goldsmith down at the bottom of that mountain. Yeah, and that is the level of detail for, like, the table... And the vestments and everything. (laughs) Wow. There are chapters and chapters of this. 40 days and 40 nights of notes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many notes. Great. And then Moses goes down the mountain again? And then while God is going on and on about decorations, the Israelites are getting antsy. Of course. They're at the bottom of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Yeah. And they panic. Oh, this is where they break the rules. (laughs) They panic because they decide that... It's been taking too long, and God and Moses must have abandoned them. And so they beg Aaron for a god to worship. And he's like, he's up there. Remember the trumpets? He does not do that. Aaron. (laughs) He collects their gold jewelry and makes it into a calf. And he says... I think I know what's coming. (laughs) And he says, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And they're cows? And it's a golden calf. Great. And they all celebrate with a feast. Great. If this wasn't heresy, I would say this is why you like cows so much. This has nothing to do with why I like cows. I know, but But I I would tie it back to your love (laughs) of cows if it wasn't also mega heretical. But I do love this story, and I also just like, side note, theologically, I love stories about the absence of God. I think those are very interesting. Cool. Also, mega heretical is a really good band name, and someone should take that and run with it. I like it. Sounds metal. Yeah. (laughs) Christian metal is totally called mega heretical. Mmm, I don't know. That might be too edgy for Christian metal. Okay. Post-Christian metal. (laughs) So anyway, they have this calf. 
Yep. And they're feasting, and God notices what's happening. Oh, God. And he gets so mad. Of course. Yeah, he told them not to do that. And he put on quite a show to convince them to believe in him. Exactly. And so he says he's going to destroy them all. Great. So Moses walks him back, saying, You just put in all of this effort to set us free, and now you want to destroy us? Good, Moses. Good, good negotiating. (laughs) And he says, plus you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Israel that you would take care of their descendants. And unfortunately, these guys are their descendants. Oops. (laughs) (laughs) So God relented, and Moses and Joshua go back down with the two stone tablets. So here's a question. If the Israelites at the bottom of Mount Sinai hadn't gotten all microheretical, do you think... That Joshua and Moses would have spent more than 40 days and 40 nights on top of that mountain? Um, I don't know. Probably not, because 40 is a religiously significant number. But is this why it's a religiously significant number, or was it significant before this? It's been significant before this. Okay. Because the flood lasted 40 days. Oh, okay, great. Um, there's lots of 40s. Cool. I didn't know the flood. I don't know much about the flood. We gotta do one on the flood. Yeah, that'll, that'll be one eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, before we go back down, God used his finger to write out the uh, the, tablets. the tablets. And he wrote on the front and back of them. Okay, so we've got four sides total. Yeah. And in this story, they maybe contain all of those specific laws in addition to the commandments. But That's in the, a lot of text. Yeah. In the other story, in Deuteronomy, it's just the Ten Commandments that are on these tablets. All right. Some so. stuff is written on some tablets. Yeah. At least the Ten Commandments are written on these tablets. Great. So then they go back down the mountain, and Moses sees all of the people worshipping the calf, and he's so mad that he throws the tablets to the ground and smashes them. Oh, great. <laughs> Shouldn't he have thrown the calf to the ground and smashed it? I, he wasn't all the way down the mountain yet. He just saw them and just, ah! He, like, rolled them down the mountain ahead of him in rage. Yeah, he was just angry, and that probably caught their attention. I imagine it's a very dramatic moment. Yeah. And they're already scared of loud noises. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) They did not like this. And it's about to get scarier. Oh, great. Moses calls for anyone who is with God to come to him. And the Levites, being the goody two-shoes of of the tribes, they come to his side. And he orders them to start killing people. (laughs) Oh, great. And they kill 3,000 people. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so Moses keeps God from destroying them all, only to have... The Levites kill a gajillion of them on his own? Only 3,000. <laughs> Only? How many people are at the base of this mountain anyway? I don't know. A lot. More than 3,000. More than that. <laughs> I don't... I think Moses was arguing, like, don't kill everybody. Okay. But also, he hadn't seen the calf yet, and he, I think he, like, hulked out. He just had a moment of rage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got really mad. Well, yeah. 3,000 people <laughs> they, are dead. They, yeah, they kill 3,000 people. And then Moses goes back up the mountain to ask God for forgiveness. Not for killing these people. Okay. But forgiveness on behalf of the people who worshipped the calf. Great. And God said, don't worry, when the time comes, they're going to get what's coming. Ooh, that's scary. And they all caught a plague. (laughs) (laughs) Like right then and there? Yeah. Oh my god. Plagues are contagious. Yeah, that's why all of them caught it. What about the Levites? I don't know if they caught it. Okay. It's not, it doesn't say that specifically. Alright, we will not quibble with the medical relevancy of how plagues work versus how <laughs> being smote by God works. Yeah, and this not all- not the time for that. Yeah, and not all of them died. 
Okay. Um, because the story keeps going. True. You have to have somebody to settle in the promised land. Exactly. Eventually, we do get tablets again. Okay, we get new tablets. We get new tablets. God tells Moses that he has to make his own tablets this time. Oh, no. <laughs> so That's Mo- what you get for your Hulk smash. <laughs> exactly. So Moses chisels them out. Moses must be really swole by now. Oh, yeah. He's I, been hacking rocks and climbing mountains and probably not eating much and taking a lot of notes. Lots of notes. Yeah. Uh, he's a very buff scribe. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he chisels them out and he takes them back like up the, the mountain. <laughs> Oh, he takes them back up the mountain. He wasn't up the mountain when he made them. No, he chiseled them, like, down in the like, okay. encampment. He goes down, makes new tablets, brings them back up the mountain, presumably to have God write on them again? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think God does rewrite them. Okay. I wasn't completely clear if Moses wrote the second one, but I think it's Moses made the tablets and then God wrote them. Okay. So he goes back up the mountain with the tablets. And he gets them written by God, and then he goes back down the mountain. Mm-hmm. One more time. Yep, and then we have, we have the the Ten Commandments. Great. And then we start to building the fancy. Well, first you have to make it to the Promised Land. I mean, they carry it for a while. Like it's yeah. it's a portable uh, sanctuary that they build oh, all these wow. fancy so things. Oh wow! So they start building it and rolling it around. Yeah, there's very specific instructions for like the poles that go through the loops in the table so that people can carry the table. Oh my goodness! It's very elaborate. I love it. <laughs> so that's the story. Cool. Uh, much more complicated than I thought when I initially thought, hey, let's do the Ten Commandments. Well, there's a gazillion mountains to climb in it. Well, the same mountain climbed a gazillion times. So many times. So do I have to try and name Ten Commandments now? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. All right. Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill. That is one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's two. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. That's three. Uh, Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house. Yeah. Are house and wife the same commandment? Depends who you ask. (laughs) <laughs> For the purposes of this exercise. Uh, we can make it both. We can make it separate. You can go with that one. The neighbor's house, neighbor's wife. All right, I'm halfway done. Five. Uh, worship false idols. Yeah. That's a big one. Worship only one god. If you get to count neighbor's wife and neighbor's house as separate, then you have to combine... False idols and false idols. only one god. Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think of all of the other things he said in that really long speech. Thou shalt not steal. Did I already say that one? Uh, I... Don't think you did. I should be doing a better job of keeping track that's of which ones you've steal, done. Steal, that's one. Yeah. I have no idea what the last three are. Okay. <laughs> I got seven commands. That was pretty good, yeah. And um, your aunt will be so proud because the version that... Oh, no, never mind. You separated wife and goods. Never mind, your aunt won't be proud um, because you didn't do the orthodox version. <laughs> Sorry, Aunt Nancy. <laughs> I mean, I asked if I should. <laughs> um. So... What is a version of the Ten Commandments? First, I'm going to start out the, the the Jewish tradition. Okay, cool. The first commandment in the Jewish tradition is, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's not a commandment. That's a statement. <laughs> it, but okay. It makes more sense when you translate it as the Ten Words of God instead of the Ten Commandments that of God. That makes way more sense. I buy it then. Yeah, because it is it is its own separate statement, it kind of makes more sense than dividing up some of the other ones that people do. Sure. It is not a commandment, but it is definitely a definitive declar- declaration. Exactly. If we call them the ten declarations, then I that's fine. Yeah. So, I am your god. I delivered you out of Egypt. Yeah, and then the other ones all kind of end up the same. The one I have written out 
is the one that the Roman Catholics, Anglicans, and Lutherans do. Oh, interesting. That's a fun combo. Yeah, they got their numbering from Augustine. Great. Who actually based it off of the other list of commandments, not the one that I pulled this story from. Uh, That one's in Deuteronomy. Okay, so does Deuteronomy retell the story then? It tells a condensed portion in explaining the law. It just explains the commandments part. Okay, it's like Moses came down from a mountain with a bunch of laws. Here are those laws, and this is why they're important. Laws, laws, laws. Basically. Okay. So to get back up to 10, because Christians as a whole don't include that declarative statement as a commandment. So what's one? So one is the combined, I am the Lord, your God, you shall not have strange gods before me. Great. It's all one. Worship false idols. Yeah. Number two is you shall not take the name of your Lord in vain. Oh, I forgot that one. Yeah. I'm I'm bad about that. I also do it. And people like have asked me, is it okay if I swear in front of you? It's fine. I also swear. (laughs) Also, I think there's a difference between swearing and swearing that involves the word God in it. I mean, I do do both of them. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a bad person. It's fine. (laughs) It's great. That's why we're here. Okay. Uh, So false idols, God's name in vain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember to keep holy the Lord's day. Ah, Sundays. Honor your father and mother. Got that one. You shall not kill. Got that one. You shall not commit adultery. Got that one. You shall not steal. Got that one. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Oh, nope. Missed that one. Which is lying. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Yep. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Great. That's 10. Yep. There it is. Cool. That's the way that these were numbered in the Western Church until the Reformation. Luther was still cool with this numbering. Calvin was not. Of course not. It's either Luther and Calvin are together, or Luther is like, okay, the Catholics are fine on this, and then Calvin is like, no, I will not. Man, all I have to say about that is that the Catholics are really lucky that Calvin wasn't the one who, like, publicly broke from the church in the dramatic way Luther did, (laughs) or things would be a lot weirder. (laughs) Yeah, he was a little bit later. Yeah. (laughs) So what is Calvin's version? So he actually decided his base off of the Exodus version, which we read. Okay. And the Eastern Church has also been doing it this way all along, based on the Exodus version. As a result, Orthodox and the Protestants, who are not Anglicans and Lutherans, they separate, you shall have no other gods before me, and don't make idols, into two commandments. Okay, so there's a version in which goods and wives are one commandment, and a version in which false gods and I am your god are one version, and it's sort of depending on the split. Yeah. And the rest of them are mostly the same? Yeah, pretty much. The rest just all lines up together. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, especially because that middle bit, when we read through it, those are the ones that it's very clear these are separate statements. Yeah, that's when it gets all Dr. Seussy. Yeah. You shall not cover <laughs> your neighbor's goods. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. You shall not you cover shall them not... in a house. You shall not cover them with a mouse. Not in a box. Not with a fox. Exactly. <laughs> the interesting thing about this is pretty much all the groups involved recognize that there are different ways to split it up. And they're kind of okay with it, as long as you get the moral point behind it. Third rules, be nice, don't be a dick. Which is weird, because there are so many things in religion where people fight wars and die over things that are this nitpicky. That's impressive that we're just so chill about this part, then. Yeah, people have their favorites, but it's okay. Fair. And it might be because, in general, beyond trying to figure out how to number them, the... Commandments were not a huge focus in the early church. Interesting. Why is that? They just didn't have a a real reason to use them, I guess. 
Okay. I did find one quote from Iranius, uh, one of the church fathers, who his statement about the significance was uh, through the Decalogue, which is another name for the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. God prepared man for friendship with himself and for harmony with his neighbor. So just these are good rules to follow to keep things going well. Yeah, for sure. Well, but, they're not bad rules. Yeah, in general, they make sense. Yeah. They didn't really become popular until the 13th century, which was when the rise of manuals for confession came about. Oh, so you needed things to confess. Yeah. And these are some good, easy check off the boxes. Right. So if you're trying to make a list of your sins, it helps to be able to tick off, did I do this commandment? Did I do this commandment? All right. So it wasn't that they weren't important. We just later came up with a specific use for them. And so it became more common that the average person would need to know them. Fair. So the other thing that I have in here is what happened to the commandments? Oh, you mean like the actual physical tablets? Yeah. Great. What <laughs> what actually happened to those tablets? I have a pretty short section on this, right. but... Did Moses Hulk smash them again? He did not. Oh, that's sort of a bummer. I know. That would have been fun. <laughs> in the second book of the Maccabees, uh, which is a later book in the Old Testament, okay, they get hidden in a cave in the mountain that Moses climbed to look upon the promised land. So it's a different mountain. Different mountain. All right. Because Moses never actually gets to go into the promised land. He just gets to see it. Why? He sins. I can't remember exactly what his sin is, but God gets mad at him. And so he doesn't actually get to go in. That's so sad. It is, but it's okay. He gets to see it at least. Okay, sure. (laughs) Him and his traveling sanctuary. Yeah. So the container that the commandments are in is probably something you've heard of. Okay. Is it, can I guess? Go for it. Is it the Ark of the Covenant? It is. Woohoo! Guys, it's really exciting when I know things. <laughs> You've probably heard of it because of Indiana Jones. Yes. 100%. <laughs> and the whole thing behind that movie is that there's legends that the Ark of the Covenant has supernatural powers. Yeah. Doesn't it blind a bunch of Nazis? It does in that movie, yeah. I think there's like some face melting that happens. Yeah. Different people have tried to find it throughout the centuries because of this, because they want whatever yeah. powers it has. Some people claim that the Ark is in the Ethiopian city of Axum in the Chapel of the Ark. Okay. Where it is guarded very closely to this day by monks. That's cool. Yeah. And also, a man named Ron Wyatt claims to have found it in Jeremiah's Grotto, just north of Jerusalem, in 1982. Great. Any last one there? And he did. He took a video of some angels opening the ark and oh boy we're doing an episode on this guy (laughs) oh my god i can't wait because i assume he has other ridiculous shenanigans too it's all related to this one archaeological dig but it's wild (laughs) i can't wait we might throw in some of the other quests for the ark and legends sure. about that we'll do an arc of the covenant episode yeah we're we're going to we're going to talk a lot about ron wyatt because he's a treat yes oh boy <laughs> i'm already looking forward to it whenever that day comes <laughs> and that's pretty much all i have on the 10 commandments for today awesome well let's take a break then we'll come back for some more fun sounds good and we're back And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint and she has to guess what they're the patron of. And I've been pretty good lately. You've been getting better. I'm heating up. Slowly, slowly heating up. 
It's because I'm a great teacher. It's true. <laughs> I've learned so much. <laughs> Somebody, who was it? Our friend Aaron confirmed that I am indeed a cultured heathen today, so I'm feeling very proud of myself. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. All right, so who's our saint this week? This week, we have Saint Hildegard. Ooh. Another lady saint? Yeah. So specifically, I was looking for a lady saint who did not die a tragic early death. Did you succeed? I did. Wow. (laughs) Did her parents try and marry her and she said no because she was dedicating herself to God Um, at a young age? Sort of. Great. Because that's the other trope of lady saints. (laughs) Let's get into the story. All right. Tell me more. So Hildegard was born in 1098 in what is today Germany. She was the 10th child born to a noble family. According to custom, she was considered a tithe as the 10th child. What? So she was dedicated to the church. They just gave her to the church? Kinda. All right. We'll get to that. Okay. She started having visions of luminous objects at the age of three, but realized that this was not normal, so she hid her gift. Wait, I think I've heard about her. Keep going, but I want to see if I'm right. Uh, At age eight, she was set to live with a Benedictine nun named Jetta to go get a religious education. Okay. So this is where they actually send her off. Send her off. Hildegard's education was very basic, so for her whole life, she had feelings of inadequacy about her lack of schooling. Okay. At 18, she became a nun, and Jetta lived very close to a Benedictine monastery So that's where Hildegard went to religious services that would later inspire her to compose music. Oh, cool. Yeah. When she was 38, so already way past these other ladies. Oh my god, she's outlived so many ladies. (laughs) This is when Judda died. Okay. At this point, Hildegard was elected head of the convent that had grown much bigger over her time there because people were attracted to her strong devotion to the Holy Spirit. Cool. She also became well-known for her knowledge of all things faithful, of music, natural science, and also knowledge of herbs and medicinal arts and cooking, despite never having any formal education or knowing how to write. Wow, good for her. Actually, her recipe for cookies of joy is still made today. Oh my god, can we make them? (laughs) We're gonna have to. They're like spice cookies. They sound good. Sounds really good. (laughs) Her knowledge is believed to have come direct from God in her visions. Up until this point, Hildegard only shared her mystical visions with Jetta and with a monk named Volmar, who acted as her secretary throughout her life. In 1141, a vision of God gave Hildegard instant understanding of the meaning of religious texts. He commanded her to write down everything she observed in her visions. But Hildegard was still plagued with feelings of inadequacy, so she was hesitant to write anything down. This quote just made me kind of sad, so I wanted to read her direct quote. Okay. But although I heard and saw these things, because of doubt and low opinion of myself, and because of diverse sayings of men, I refused for a long time the call to write, not out of stubbornness, but out of humility, until weighed down by a scourge of God, I fell into a bed of sickness. That's so sad. It is sad. I just I like her so much. I just want her to have more self-confidence. It's true. She never doubted that her visions were divine. But she desperately wanted them to be approved by the church. Okay. So her friend, St. Bernard, not a dog. But a great name. (laughs) Took the matter to Pope Eugenius, who urged Hildegard to finish her writings. Good for him. Yeah. She ended up finishing her famous work, which in English is called Know the Ways of the Lord, and her fame spread throughout Germany and beyond. She was also very critical of schismatics and preached against them for her whole life. In the last year of her life, 
it was very difficult for her and her convent. Going against the wishes of diocesan authorities, Hildegard refused to remove the body of a young man who was buried in the cemetery attached to her convent. The boy had previously been excommunicated, but since he received his last sacrament before dying, Hildegard felt that he had been reconciled to the church. Oh. And then she died at the age of 81 of natural causes. Wow. Yeah. She was declared a doctor of the church in 2012 by Benedict XVI. And one more fact about her, there are more chant compositions surviving by St. Hildegard than any other medieval composer. That's so cool. I think Stuff You Missed in History Class did an episode on her, which is why she sounds familiar. They may have. I don't remember that episode, but they totally could have. The idea of her being a tithe to the church rings really familiar to me. If they did have an episode, they probably talked a lot about the fact that she was a mystic. Was either her or her mentor an anchoress at one point? Yes. Okay, then yeah, it's totally they did an episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class because they described people getting walled up into walls and I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, Jetta was an anchoress. Okay, cool. Then yeah, if you want to know more about Hildegard, find the Stuff You Missed in History Class episode about it. If I can find it, I'll tweet it when we post this episode. Neat. Yeah. So, Shannon... With your extra knowledge. Oh god, I forgot that I have to get quizzed at the end of this. I got so excited I forgot. What is Hildegard the patron of? Is she the patron of music? So <laughs> Oh god, I'm not ready. <laughs> Technically, Saint Hildegard is the patron of nothing. <laughs> you this is cheating. But no, you're but you're right. She uh in like, people have attributed things to her. Officially, she's nothing, which I'm mad about. Yeah. Who do I write a letter to? <laughs> Let's all write a letter to the Pope. Everybody who listens. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Dear Pope Francis, one, please listen to our podcast. Two, give Hildegard some credit. Exactly. How many saints are there that don't have anything attributed to them? How um, common is this? I mean, so technically, technically, she was blessed pretty much right after her death. Okay. But she wasn't actually made a saint until 2012. Okay, so she just hasn't had enough time for people to, like, make her the patron of things? I don't know how that works. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know why the church hasn't attributed anything to her. But she's commonly considered the patron of ecology, musicians, so technically you're right. Okay. Uh, Writers, culinary arts, creativity, mystics, and one article said Catholic nerds. Oh, so she's kind of your patron saint. (laughs) A little bit. I identified with that one. I love it. That's so good. That puts a smile on my face. We got a campaign to get Hildegard some attributions, though. Exactly. It's our new mission. She's such a happy saint. She lived so long. 81 in the medieval times? Very happy for her. I love it. I love it. Well, I love all of you guys for listening to the show this week. Thank you so much. Our theme music is by Adam Griffin. Our editing and logo are both by David Griffin, who is impressively not the only competitive ballroom dancer I'm Facebook friends with, it turns out. It's my fun fact about David for the week. Is the other one a friend of David's? No! (laughs) That's the weird part. Okay. And if you guys like the show, the best thing you guys can possibly do for us is to go on iTunes and write a review. We've got some awesome ratings on there but very few people have taken the time to like write a couple sentences or really even a couple words about what they think about the show so if you like the show go on itunes if you haven't subscribed already what are you doing subscribe and then write a little review because reviews are one of the best ways that other people can find the show and that would mean a lot to us yeah you can also if you have strong feelings about hildegard 
email the Pope, but also email us at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at School for Heathens so I can post to you that Stuff You Missed in History Class episode. Anything else from you, Brian? Uh, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. Mm-hmm.